From Tritank Experimental Laboratory, this is the Tritank Podcast, where we talk about all things related to innovation in the church. I'm Father Lorenz Labrija. Thank you for joining us. And welcome once again to the Tritank Podcast today on clergy well-being. In this episode, I have the honor of welcoming two guests. And what we're going to do is we're going to talk a little bit about the well-being, particularly of young clergy. Recent evidence seems to indicate that younger priests are or have considered quitting ministry after a short amount of time. And we want to talk a little bit about that because, well, without young clergy, we're going to have an issue at some point. And joining me to talk about this are two people that are helping us. Tritank is doing an experiment in this, and we'll talk a little bit about that in this conversation. But joining me is uh, the Reverend Rachel Fields. She's an Episcopal priest. And she, you know, it's fun. Her whole bio, and you'll see it in the show notes. She's living on a small hillside along with Moses, strawberries, cows, pigs, chickens. Like, oh my God, it is the modern country parson living on a mountain in Vermont. So, Rachel, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> Thank you, Lorenzo. And also the Reverend Mo uh, Letterman. She is a native nutmegger. And if you did not know what that word meant, welcome. I did not know up until a moment ago what that meant. That just means apparently someone from Vermont. and no, Connecticut. Connecticut. Oops, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Close. <laughs> That's it. And Lorenzo is <laughs> getting a call from the Department of, some, of Tourism from uh, right. Connecticut. And it actually says it right here. So welcome, both of you. Um, I'm glad that you're able to join me for this conversation. Um, even today, as, as we were getting ready to, to, to do this conversation, there, there was an email that came out that talked a little bit about just uh, how there's a whole movement uh, within the evangelical churches about the resilient pastor. And we're seeing this, right? We're seeing this. And, and particularly, we certainly can talk about how those who have been in ministry for a longer period of time have also encountered this issue. And there's certainly a lot of people who are tired, who are just at their last wit's end. But in particular today, I want us to focus this conversation on younger clergy. And before we, I ask you specific questions, I just want to mention the experiment that we're doing with Tritank is with, uh, with, both of these priests who are who are leading this as the experiment managers. And the experiment, what it aims to do is it's aiming to bring together clergy, young clergy, to to sort of be with each other. It's based on the being with program that uh, anyone who has talked to me recently knows that I'm a big proponent of that. The being with program from the UK. Uh, and and it really is about creating a sense of community, a sense of deepening of their own spiritualities, a sense of Unlike uh, Fresh Start or clergy meetings, this isn't so much about come and talk about all the problems in the diocese. This is actually come and just be who you are. So we're hoping that that program will have uh, a difference. So we're, I don't even know where to, where to begin with this. You know, it's like we can all see the, if, if this continues to draw out and we have no young, energetic uh, priests who are out there in ministry, this is going to be a major issue, especially as we just mentioned the older who are getting tired. What are you all seeing? I, I know, Rachel, let, let, let me begin with you. I know that you were the one who first brought this to my attention when you were talking about in your province, young clergy. So let's let's give some specifics about the problem for our listeners. Sure. Thank you, Lorenzo. Yeah. So province one, um, Mo and I have been actually convening a network of recently ordained clergy for the last year. Um, and the way it came about is um, 
I, um, the way I remember it, I published something on Facebook about how I was taking a step back from parish ministry. I'd been in parish ministry for two and a half years. I'd been on diocesan staff before that. Um, and people started reaching out to me. I was not anticipating that. But other clergy in my age group, I'm 33 years old. I've been ordained now going on seven years. So people in a similar demographic um, started reaching out to me to say, wow, that's so courageous. How did you how were you able to step out of parish ministry? And I was like, oh, that's an interesting response. Tells me a yeah, lot right. about where they are and and what their discernment might be doing. So I would ask them about it. And so, you know, started having all these conversations. And then because it's my brain, I was like, oh, how could I turn this into a network? And I talked to Mo and we, ha- we have tea all the time. Um, and I talked to Mo and found out that Mo has been having similar people reach out to her. So that's sort of what started building. It was like a general sense of this parish ministry is not what I thought it would be. I'm being asked to do a hundred million things and only some of them feel in line with my vocation. Um, and the pressure is mounting, the financial pressure is mounting, and gosh, maybe I picked the wrong job. Um I don't know, Mo, does that resonate with what you remember? Yeah, yeah. Um, It's funny. I think at the same time, things were happening with Rachel, same with me as I had stepped back as well from parish ministry. And as soon as people found out, same kinds of phone calls. Wow, that's brave. How do you do this? (laughs) Um, Very specific questions on how to do it because people were in that, especially those who were newly ordained. And I've been ordained for a little bit longer, but who were newly ordained were really burning out quite quickly um, for a whole host of reasons. But I was seeing things like basic needs that weren't met. Um, If you're cobbling together four quarter-time jobs, it still doesn't equal a full-time parish ministry in terms of health care and housing and all of that kind of stuff. So so newly ordained people who couldn't find the work that they were feeling called to. And, um, you know, it's like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. If you can't get your basics done, you can't get to the rest of it. Um, and also exceedingly lonely clergy. Um, I, you know, I started in this 20 years ago. Um, I kind of went right out of college, jumped into seminary and got ordained. And when I did, I had a three-year curacy that ended up being a nine-and-a-half-year stint as the associate rector, where I had a rector, an organist, uh, there was a parish administrator, there was a sexton, and these people were all on staff. And it wasn't a particularly large church, but there was so much support, um, whereas a lot of newer clergy were just sort of being moved into these small <laughs> parishes without their basic needs being met. and um, without that kind of educational support. Um, And you know, something that's interesting about what you just mentioned about the, because it's not, the loneliness is not just in rural ministry, by the way. I was talking last week, I was in New York City, and I was talking to a priest in New York City who was telling me how lonely the job is. And this is like in New York City, right? The the greatest city in the world. It, it, it's so it's not just the fact that it can be someone that's trying to cobble it together. By the way, though the the sort of gig economy of priests, uh, <laughs> more than fifty percent of the current openings in the Episcopal Church for clergy are less than full time. 
Yeah. Mm. We have a lot of clergy that are that the that are by n- just the reality of the of their situation are going to have to be bivocational, and whether that means uh, that you take a secular job or whether that means, that, as you mentioned, Mo, that people are putting together and cobbling together multiple jobs to make one job. And by the way, we all sort of recognize that a part time clergy job means we're giving you. A part-time pay, but we still expect you to be our full-time clergy, right? So it's it's drawing so much. And and I'm fascinated that both of you mentioned that when you said you stepped away from parish ministry, that the, the when people reached out to you, they said that was brave. Mm-hmm. Why do you think they th- they see that as brave? I think especially if you're newer at something, um, and you know, you've spent all this time in seminary and in discernment and saying to your bishops, yes, 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 yes. Um, if it's less than five years to turn around and go, whoa, no, that's hard, right? That's a really hard turnaround, I think, for a lot of people. Um, yeah. Mm. I, I think for me, uh, one thing I was hearing was, or one thing I recognized just, just for myself um, was when I decided to step out of parish ministry, um, I ended up working at a retreat center, and that's where I work most of my time when I'm not having amazing, fun experiences with people like Tritank, um, which is the best ever. Um, and, or on the side uh, of a so, hill, apparently. <laughs> that's true. That's, that's, that's not There's a lot of shoveling of manure in my life, yeah. and I love it. Oh, same with Tritank. Um, I'm just saying. <laughs> I was just thinking, it's not different from parish Anyway, um, but, uh, but all it all of the momentum, all of the trajectory, all of the structural support in the church is for the parish mm-hmm. system. So in order to do anything innovative, in order to do anything, which is, I'm saying this and I'm realizing a lot of our parishes um, and our bishops and our other clergy will say that they're really interested in innovation. They're interested in meeting the church where it's evolving. They're interested in but then when it comes time to putting the actual structures in place or the funding behind it, I mean, not every diocese has a tri-tank. I know tri-tank is for the whole church, but but we're not seeing – so I think it's brave because there isn't the institutional support to actually go ahead and try um, bold, new, innovative ministry options as much as there is for sticking in parish ministry. So it's hard to, it's hard to really want to get out. It's hard to really want to innovate when – you both don't have the institutional support. And then the other part is, for me, when I was in the parish, um, and this is not to knock the parish I was in. They are lovely. They are beautiful. They are being who God created them to be. Go, God, go, parish. Um, there, There's just so much pressure to carry all the things the way they are, either I- implicitly or explicitly, yeah. and then, you know, sort of layering on the pressure to do something different and new in your free time um, at 10 hours a week. So it just sort of, it's hard to have that imaginal space internally as well to think like, oh, wow, it doesn't have to be this way. Yeah, um, And I think also yeah. coming back from COVID, you know, there was, frankly, at least at first, especially in a smaller parish, less people coming back for a whole host of reasons. Um, some people weren't ready to show back up yet. You know, some people had retired and moved away. Um, 
some people had died, um, you know, all of those things. Or some people got really comfortable being on their couch on Sunday morning, which Absolutely. is super yeah. fair. Waffles are amazing. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it meant, though, that as the parishes got smaller and as the amount that you could afford a priest got smaller, you know, that layer of people were having to take on more of Again, like you were talking about the carekeeping, the caretaking kind of work, right? So um, mm -hmm. the balancing of the budgets, the making sure things got done. So it's you're drawing from an even smaller pool. Um, and so that's a lot of pressure on a system. Huge amounts of pressure. Mm -hmm. and, and on a person because if, if person. it's got to get done, right? And if it's not going to get done, they're, they're looking to you yeah. to say, hey, this has to get done. So – Good luck with that. Um, in, in one of our experiments, I remember uh, and it, the experiment was called the Listening Project. One of the things we learned was that the congregations that were growing, uh, there, was a, there was a theme in several of them, not in all of them, but in several of them, where the person who had come into the role had come in saying, I'm your chief spiritual officer. I'm not here to fix the toilets. You wouldn't ask your your very specific brain surgeon, right? You wouldn't ask the neurologist to go ahead and fix a toilet. You'd say, like, fix my brain. Uh, but somehow there's this expectation that when a priest comes in, they're in charge of the entirety of the thing. Mm -hmm. uh, balance the books, do everything, raise more money, do do it all. And it's, it's such an unrealistic expectation that I think seeing that some of these others were able to succeed by saying, I'm the chief spiritual officer. But that's for another topic. No, another I mean, day. I think that taps into some of the burnout, though, too right, um, that I was hearing is that people were saying that they were stuck doing administration, especially over yeah. COVID when all of a sudden you had to learn all these new skills, or they are stuck feeling like um, the cruise director, you know, as opposed to the chief spiritual officer. And I, I think I think that's that's an incredibly, yeah. But it's hard. I could imagine that it's hard when you have, when all you have to offer is a 10 hour a week job to someone. And that that already in a, in a bit it tells you a little bit about the congregation, right? That it's smaller, that it's uh, certainly less financially stable, as it probably don't have doesn't have an endowment. Uh, but that's a reality, right? We started the seventeen thirty project because there were at the time this was before COVID there were one thousand seven hundred and thirty congregations with twenty nine or fewer people on a Sunday. They do not have a full time clergy for the most part um, for the vast majority of those, other than the ones that have an endowment. So it's a reality for our church. So here's a question. If you were looking back, if, if imagine Mo, you're talking to younger Mo a few years ago, Rachel, you're talking to <laughs> younger Rachel a few years ago, before you stepped away from ministry, knowing what you know now, is there something you could have done to help yourselves to like, would you say to yourself, like stick it out a little bit longer? Uh, or have you tried this is for someone who's listening to us right now, who's like, yeah, I'm, I'm sort of in that spot. And I'm about to walk away to just go get a secular job and do whatever, uh, because why take on the extra stress? I'd rather just do ministry or go work for a nonprofit. What would you say to yourselves? Hmm. I I think I might be the wrong person to ask this, Lorenzo. <laughs> why is that, Rachel? Because I have gone forward boldly and I have very few regrets. Oh, yeah. that, that's perfectly true. Um, and and I would say, I mean, just the only thing that feels different to me is is for me, it doesn't actually feel like leaving the ministry. Mm. Um, it feels a lot more like I have been able to become the priest that I was uh, created by God to be by stepping outside of the parish structure. So one thing I might say to myself is to 
really hold the parish structure loosely if I'm affiliated with a parish and to, um, through every step of the process, the interview phase, the everything phase, to be very clear and very specific about what my passions are and to trust that God gave me those passions. They might be for work in the community. Um, and if they match up with that particular parish, then that's beautiful and good. And to not worry about, oh, am I doing enough? Am I taking care, ta- taking care of the parish enough? The parish, like, can take care of itself to some extent, but to really trust and to lean into that those things that bring me joy, if they're out in the community, if they're working with programs like being with for other clergy, like that this is a part of my real vocation and calling. Um, so that's that's probably okay. what I would say to Rachel. And Mo, what about you? Yeah, I... I... I am actually joyfully in another place at this point. And again, it's it's not a stepping away from ministry. And in fact, I think for some of the others who I knew who also ended up stepping away from parish life, they don't feel like they step away from ministry. My uh, One of my sons looked at me and he said, well, you're not a priest anymore. And I rammed it on him. I was like, I'm still a priest. <laughs> um, <laughs> can't take that away from me. You can't. <laughs> Well, I mean, not easily, at least. Um, <laughs> I'll fight you. Um, no, so I, I, uh, I was. There's still something incredibly priestly in there, and there is something incredibly spiritual. And um, stepping, I, I, I think I like what Rachel was saying about holding that parish structure a little more lightly, um, and that is probably true for me as well. Is. Um, the problems of the day that seem to weigh you down, you know, they will be gone usually by the next day. Um, and so letting go of some of those things. And I will say, probably like Rachel, for me, it wasn't the parish themselves. They were an incredible, amazing group of people. I had these phenomenal interns. Um, Yale just kept sending them to me. Uh, <laughs> Rachel was one of them. I, I I think I swear I got the best interns um, that existed ever. They were all these amazing, brilliant women who came and worked with me um, in this lovely parish. Um, and the church is changing and quickly. I mean, it was changing before, but I think COVID really laid bare a lot of those changes. Oh, yeah. Um, and and I think both of you speaking about holding the Paris system loosely is is right in line with with Tritech, right? We we are the <laughs> distributed church that we've been talking about. All these other things that we're talking about that do it yourself spirituality doesn't mean that no one goes to church. It doesn't mean that it 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 just means less dependency on 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 an ordained person with a white collar, right? Uh, as we're coming to the end of our time. As I drop stuff here in the studio, <laughs> as, as we're coming to the end of our time, this is why Lorenzo doesn't get fidgety toys because he <laughs> drops them. <laughs> as, we're, as we're coming to the end of our time here, um, uh, two questions. One is, and you've touched upon the spirituality of this, but can you be a little bit more explicit, either one of you, uh, on where is God in this discernment? Is it was it for both of you? Was it easier, harder to find God to be able to 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 discern? Well, was indeed, as we've we've mentioned before, a a bold and and fearless move. How, where was God in that? How did you this? How did you find God in that? For me, God showed up in two places. Um, first was with so much gratitude to my spiritual director. A lot of time, just in that imaginal place of writing down things like if 
finances weren't an issue, if I'm not thinking about any kind of profile or whatever, just what would be the the pattern of life that would bring my soul fully alive? Just pl- just to play with those images and what just and what came out over and over was, you know, cultivating small groups, cultivating connections between groups around ecology, around spiritual practice. Um, and then all of a sudden this clergy thing got folded in and gosh, that just felt really good. So God hit me out of left field with that one. Um, but it was really to to spend some time in that imaginal realm of around joy and to trust that God has planted a joy in me that will touch the world in some way. Um, there, I mean, that discernment quote that gets brought out every time is your joy meeting the world's need. Mm. I mean, it just really feels like that. Um, and then the other was, to be honest, the, the fearless companionship of a group like the retreat house who said, you know, you ha- like, clearly this, this sort of situation is not tenable for you. We see you, we love you. We want you to just strike out and do something. And we're going to trust that God is in it and that we're all going to benefit somehow. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, that was just to have a group of people, yeah. a community who were willing to say that and take that risk. I saw I saw God in that Sounds so beautiful. much. Uh, Mo, what about you? Always hard to follow Rachel. I know, um, right? She's so amazing. <laughs> she's like saintly and just hovering over the earth. She's and then cool. you have to follow and be like, hey, where did you see guys? Like, oh, yeah, I, I, <laughs> I saw a rainbow once. Um, exactly. No, I, <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess what I'm thinking is um, a lot of this was for me. I had a lot of conversation with my husband, who's like an amazing guy. Because God bless him, he sat through 20 years of parish ministry with me and and continues to walk with me through this. But um, we used to run a youth group together many years ago, and we'd say Compline every night uh, with the kids. And and just, you know, come to me, all who are, you know, weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And I think it was a time where God was saying, you need to rest, you have been pushing for a really, really long time, and you don't have this in your tank. It's okay to rest, which is hard, right? If you've been working yeah. your whole life and you've been caretaking your whole life to say, okay, God, I'm going to trust you and I'm actually going to do some rest for a while um, was tricky. So I had that on the one hand. And on the other, when I did step back, it was really, truly the number of phone calls I started getting from people who were, and some, many stayed in parish ministry, but of people who were concerned and worried and here were their fears um, and here were their anxieties um, and being able to walk with people, knowing what it was like to be in part-time ministry, having been at it a little bit longer. Um, so all of a sudden, being able to care for other clergy as they were trying to care for their parishes was incredibly godly to me. Brilliant. Oh, wow. Okay. So you obviously were able to see. And I think, you know, as, as we're wrapping it up now, uh, it's it's important for people, wherever, now I'm talking to the listeners, wherever you are is where God will meet you, right? And if you're thinking mm-hmm. that you're you're at your wit's end and you're, you're, you know, have conversations with others, look for God in the work that you're doing there. Also, 
for those of you who are younger in ministry and who are younger uh, also in age, look at the TriTech experiments. Keep You can always keep up with our experiments at TriTech.org. See what's coming up. Um, part of the, the our, our experiments is we're always communicating back what we're finding. This happens to be a year-long experiment that we're launching now, but we're always communicating what we're finding. We have another experiment down the pike that's going to be just as exciting, also working with, with these clergy so that they can find other parts of their lives to to perhaps fill in some of this 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 desire this so that the loneliness is not there so that they can find joy in that uh, Rachel I love how you were talking about the joy because it reminded me from the letter of the Hebrews that Jesus himself was anointed with the oil of joy right and it's just we are called in this work to also be joyful because otherwise it's not the good news it's like it's the burden news and it's like we nobody wants to share that ain't nobody got time for that Mm-mm. so and speaking of time we are out of time did you see that nice transition right there I mean that was yeah. I mean, someone, someone <laughs> should just be like writing to, I don't know where, but that's just like an amazing sort of, it's like, whoa, check out Lorenzo's amazing. In fact, I think that deserves a cheer. So. Oh yeah. Thank you all. Uh, all right. So uh, with that, all right. Thank you people. Thank you. Thank you for cheering. All right. Stop cheering. Stop cheering. So um, <laughs> thank you very much, both of you. Oh, Mo Letterman, Rachel Field for joining us. Uh, on the on the TriTank podcast, we really appreciate you joining us. Thanks for having Thank us. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe and be sure to leave a review to learn more about TriTank. Visit TriTank.org. Be sure to sign up for our monthly newsletter where you can keep up with all of our experiments. The TriTank podcast is a production of TriTank in association with Resonate Media. TriTank is a joint venture between Virginia Theological Seminary and General Theological Seminary. Again, thanks for joining us. I'm Father Lorenzo Labrija. Until next time, may God bless you. Do you have something to say? Are there people who want or need to hear from you? Have you always wanted to start a podcast but don't know where to start? Welcome to Resonate Media, where our mission is to amplify you. At Resonate Media, we focus on helping underrepresented voices and aspiring podcasters get started by providing equipment, expertise, and experience to help you launch a podcast. To get started, visit ResonateMediaPro.com. Don't let the confusion, complications, and costs of hosting, recording, editing, and distribution hold you back. The world needs to hear what you have to say. Resonate Media can help your voice be heard.